This is episode number five of Presentable, and I'm your host, Jeff Veen. This week, we totally geek out on color with Craig Hockenberry. Craig has been designing and building things at the Icon Factory for nearly 20 years, and we discuss what Apple is doing with color in their new hardware and what that means for the future of design. So let's get right to it. So I talked to a, a few people who... Um, who know both of us that and said that you know we we're going to be doing a podcast together, and uh, across the board they all said, "Hey, wow, two of the tallest guys in the business together at last." So uh, I've never met you in person, but I understand you are um, quite a bit quite taller than most people. Yes, I'm uh, six seven. Oh, you've got see, you've got an inch on me. I'm six six. Oh, okay. Well, you you understand the problems that we face. <laughs> Airplane seats, oh, hitting yeah. your head on things, the um, doorways that are low, the mirror <laughs> that I can never see in in the hotel bathroom. I'm always yeah, kind yeah. of stooped over yeah. trying to look at my hair. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting because nobody, um, nobody else like like being tall is the one thing that people the one physical attribute i think that people are very comfortable just calling out even people that don't know you right like i walk into a restaurant and the person by the hostess stand will be like whoa hey tall guy how you doing you know yeah and yeah, and it's not yeah. like there's any other physical quality to a person that i think people would just be comfortable saying like oh hey uh losing some hair on top how's it going you know <laughs> I, it, it, it's it's funny too that that um it's it's not only the, the comments, but you know, like people will stare at you, and and it's like you know, it, you know, it, the classic case is getting in the elevator, right? And they're all heads turn to you because it's like you're the tallest one in this small space. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess. I mean, and it's like I don't know. And then I see all the studies like correlating um, CEOs and politicians to height and stuff like that. So. Uh, I guess it's uh, not something to really complain about because it it is perceived as a as this benefit as this attribute that is of uh, you know like is, is a good quality. But I don't know. I think there's a limit. You get over six four, people start to look. Yeah, it uh, that it it's well you know I, I've I've grown up. I mean I've been tall since you know a very young age. So yeah. it's, I don't really know any difference. But I mean it. It, the, people just view it as always having an upside and it's you know the, the first time you have to go shopping for clothes and right. you realize yeah. that it's like oh i can't get that awesome suit because it's you know the the sleeves only come up to about <laughs> midway on my arm i know i know <laughs> yeah. shoes shoes are another thing i say i wear i have wear size 16 shoes Ooh. so yeah it's uh it's funny the first time we went to when I first met my wife, you know, we went shopping for clothes and she was like, oh, these shoes are great. You know, they, oh, you should try these. You should try these. And I was like, no, darling, that's not how it works. <laughs> <laughs> you go up to the guy who's selling the shoes and say, what do you have in size 16? And he brings out and you pick the least objectionable <laughs> shoe. <he brings>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, okay, check. We're both tall. Got it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so, look, you uh, you and I have been doing this this stuff for a long time. I went and, and read your bio on your website um, and didn't realize just how far back, you know, our, our, our histories both go. Um, and this is especially poignant in the last couple of weeks because um, the place in, that you work, the Icon Factory, uh, just uh, crossed 20 years in business, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it was a pretty amazing thing to to look back and 
like holy holy crap you know it's 20 years is a long time in this internet business it's like in fact one of the things we did was went and collected uh a bunch of old html and you know assets that we'd created over the years and it's like there's just a ton of stuff that you accumulate and yeah. you know in fact one of the things that i that was just it was amazing to go look at you know how we wrote you know html markup in 1996 versus you know how we're doing it today i think the, the new site is all responsive it's yeah. css animations you know javascript all sorts of interesting stuff and then you know you go back to 1996 and it's like oh there's a font tag and a, and a break <laughs> and non-blanking spaces it's like <laughs> amazingly there was no single pixel gif in that markup <laughs> oh my god no yeah and no frameworks like we wrote everything essentially yep it was all kind of from scratch just you know you had an idea you had a uh you, you kind of understood the limitations of, of HTML and CSS. In fact, the one of the apps that we released over for the uh, the twenty year uh, anniversary was a thing called BitCam, which is like a retro camera app for iOS. That's so good. I had so much Thank, fun with that. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's it was fun to make too. Um, but then the you know the promo site for that was you know we did using old school HTML. In fact, a lot of web developers, you know, they were like, oh, this is cool app. And then I say, like, yeah, go go check out the view source on the bc.html. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, that's the way it was, right? You know, it's like it, it, we didn't, you know, you, you you kind of abused tables because that's all you had, right? It's, it was just, you, you, you know, there were no, you know, CSS framework for, you know, doing uh, grid layouts. There were no JavaScript frameworks for, you know, dynamic content. There was just HTML. Yep. That was it. Yeah. You know? yep. No, no PNG images even. That, that, that was something I'd, I'd forgotten. It's like, yeah, no alpha. Well, you yeah. know, one bit alpha, you know, just on or off. It's, oh, yeah, it, transparency. None of, none of, yeah, none of the nice, you know, blending of of assets against backgrounds and stuff like that it was coming a long way baby we, we really have but you know what interestingly like and part of the beauty of all of this i think it's i was doing a little research before we started recording here on some of the history because we're going to talk about color in a little bit uh and i was reading about you know the early web safe color palettes and all that kind of stuff and and some of the color specification that went into html 3.0 and i load up those specifications they look exactly like they did back then Everything just works fine, right? And they're using all of 16 tags or whatever. But that, that idea of longevity, really remarkable uh, in that I can load up a document that's 22 years old, you know, and it, and it still loads up just fine. Right, right. That, in fact, that, you know, that's one of the, you know, people talk about the differences between native app and web apps. And, you know, it really, to me, isn't, that's not a, as interesting a discussion as uh, what is the longevity of the thing you're producing, right? You know, a, a an iOS app that I built in 19 or excuse me, 2007 for the launch of the App Store mm -hmm. can't run it. Can't run it anymore. Just right. you know, there's 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 no way to run it. It's just it's it's it, it had a useful lifetime, but it's it's done. Um, whereas you know, 
web content in 2007 and even far back as you know 1997 um still is fine yeah. you know well, yeah. it looks looks great and works great so you know i'm sure that, that that's going to change over time um you know that is is javascript frameworks change and css changes and stuff like that i mean there you see you see more breakage like between you know like a css2 and a css3 because you know the the web standards bodies want to improve things but you know the basic layout kind of works okay still so yeah well i think the for, for all of the sort of ups and downs of, of standards through the years i think the the committees in the w3c that are working on this stuff have always really been committed to backwards compatibility as a as a design principle and a, and that and that all of the stuff that they've been working on hopes to be additive you know and, yeah yeah it wasn't always that way i mean if you you know we both remember you know the web standards project you know the uh the thing that jeffrey jeffrey zeldman started and absolutely we, yeah we were all behind that because there was not that you know let's build something together as a community that is going to stand the test of time it was all you know one browser maker saying you know, oh hey there's here's this cool thing another one saying oh here's this cool thing and guess what you know you couldn't use those cool things because one had it and the other one didn't right so it it i think that whole web standards initiative really put us in a good place you know for the for the future and uh you know gave good direction to you know where the the whole industry is going to head yeah, you know, and it's interesting because at the time back then that that whole the conversation was all around um, the amount of work it was taking for web designers and front end developers, right? Because we were essentially writing multiple versions of the page to to uh, to work in the multiple browsers and and all of these hacks and keeping track of all of that kind of stuff. Uh, when in reality, the true value there is is again in in the longevity. It's the fact that now these pages and and all this content can actually persist, uh, regardless of you know how much effort it it was taking to produce them back then. So yeah. I like it. I like the way it's been coming along. So yeah, look, I wanted to uh, talk to you because you wrote this this piece on the Icon Factory blog that I thought was just really, really good and an in depth look at what's happening to color, uh, in particular around the release of the new iPad Pro, and I guess the 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 revision they did of the 5K iMac too has uh, is that right? They both they both have this new color. Yeah, it's a it's a. Uh... Well, at WWC, they, they've uh, they've been calling it wide color, right? It, it's basically a color space that has uh, more range of colors in it than the traditional sRGB that's been used for the the web. Right. Um, it's you know the reds are redder, the oranges are oranger, the the greens are greener, um, the blues they're fairly fairly similar between the two color spaces, but you, you definitely see uh, colors pop a lot more on these displays. And it's one of those things that you, <laughs> you can't really explain to people, you know. But you can't show yeah. them over the web either. Right, you have to exactly. have the display to be able to see the improvement. Yeah. So you can't show a picture of it. <laughs> right, yeah. It's, it's, it's really hard to, to, to express how good these displays look, but as soon as you see one you go oh yeah 
right i get it your eye just immediately picks up on the the wider dynamic range and yeah it's it just makes better looking images um so let me let me back up a sec they, they're they're also talking about true tone display are these things related are they same thing well <laughs> true tone is something that you need that that wider color gamut to to pull off okay. um Color management has this notion of a thing called a white point, which is kind of, you know, how white white is. Uh -huh, right. um, and in different lighting conditions, you know, white moves around. It's like, you know how you look at your iPhone screen at night and it seems really bright and really white? Yeah. That's because, yeah. you know, you're in darker conditions and, you know, ideally you'd want to tone down that whiteness. Uh, and that's what the, the True Tone does, right? It basically has a sensor at the top of the display near where the camera is, is located, uh -huh. the front-facing camera. And it picks up the ambient lighting conditions and adjusts that white point based upon uh, the ambient light. It's pretty slick. I mean, it really does. It, it, it helps pull off that, wow, this display really looks better um, effect that, that you get. Right, you know that when you look at it, because it's you know it, it, it's it's I noticed especially at night, right? It's like you don't get that really blaringly white, you know, web page that comes up, right? right. It's kind of knocked back a little bit, and it's it's a lot easier on your eyes. And and this yeah. is different from now. They also have like um, I, I for a long time used uh, Flux or F F dot Lux on the Mac, right? And and right. now it's kind of built into iOS with this thing called Night Shift. Um, yeah. And that's a little different. That just like changes the gamma to make it Ye yellower. Yeah, yeah. It, that 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 just is basically uh, it. <laughs> I can see like it, how deep it, do we it, have to go in all this? Yeah, stuff. exactly. That's <laughs> well, that's one of the problems with color management, right? Is that you can go really deep, and it's like I I'm writing a book because it's like, oh my god, this thing got really complicated. Right. Um, but it basically makes the it just changes the uh, the color gamut curves for the the display, so that you know, with just with just the hardware color lookup tables, you can you, you basically get more or less orange depending upon how late at night it is. Right. And I mean, I use that on my uh, my development workstation just because. Two reasons. One is that it kind of reminds me how late it is by how orange it is, and it's like it starts getting really orange. It's like hey, time to quit. But it also it also really does help my eyes, especially as I'm getting older. Um, uh, you know, deal with you know these little bright white windows that we have. Right. Um, but yeah, True Tone and and the uh, the night shift thing are two separate mm -hmm. two separate technology. I mean that the the true tone works in the middle of the day when, when night shift is off. You know, if you go from a dark, you know, dark room out under the bright sunlight, it will adjust the uh, the display accordingly. And so that's basically um, tell, doing to your eye what your eye or like what your brain d does when you take a piece of paper from outside into a darker room. It's still yep. you still perceive it as the same color, even though technically the light bouncing off it is totally different. Exactly. It's it's pretty amazing that that how our eye works. I mean, it, it, it's thing called global illumination, which you know, the fancy way to say ambient light. Um, 
but yeah, our our eye takes all of the light that it gets, and you know, you you you're looking at a piece of white paper, but the eye is also at the same time getting all of the the light that's around you and adjusting the the uh, its reception of that light bouncing off the paper accordingly. Right. So. That, that, in fact, it's 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 interesting that that, that that the true tone stuff is basically reverse engineering what the eye is doing. That's right? kind of it's, remarkable, yeah. Yeah, it's and it took some pretty smart engineering to to make that happen. But uh, you know that's what Apple does, right? It's yeah, you know, yeah, with no, cool ideas this... and make it work. <laughs> <laughs> now this is also the same effect. You remember that? Like I think it was last year uh, when the internet almost broke as people argued over whether a dress looks blue and black or white and gold. Yep. Same same, same effect, right? Yep. Yeah. It's it's you, you you know, and different people have different perception. Uh, you know that you know again some people. For example, are colorblind. Others are not. Some have mild color blindness. Some have severe color blindness. Sure. I, you know, every it's it's like everybody's body is different. Well, everybody's eye is different. But now you get into the the, the epistemology, let's say, of 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 vision, right? The how okay, my blue may be different than your blue, but we both grow grew up knowing that that blue is blue. And and assigning meaning right. to blue, yeah. that you know, my blue may be your green. Who knows, right? Or you know, I remember having long conversations about these right. late at night when I was in college. Yeah. Um, but that was a different time, and I was making different life choices back then. That's why, so. that's why I hesitated to go there because it's like that's one of those never-ending. Oh, hey, it's three a.m. and we've got a eight-hour podcast here. <laughs> Absolutely. This week's episode of Presentable is brought to you by FreshBooks. All right, let me tell you a little story. Many years ago, I started an agency doing what we called user experience consulting. We were very fortunate. We had a lot of clients and the work was really great, but managing all of that was a nightmare. So we hired my friend, Brian. He's unique in that he actually enjoys this thing we call collections. He would package up the invoices. He would send them out. He would gently pester people to pay on time and he'd call them when they didn't. And he got this weird satisfaction from all of this. Well, good for him, but you're not Brian, and there's a good chance you don't want to be bothered with collecting money from your clients. So thank goodness for FreshBooks. FreshBooks are on a mission to help small business owners save time and avoid stress that comes from running their businesses. And that all starts with pain-free invoicing. FreshBooks has created a super intuitive tool that makes creating and sending invoices totally simple. It takes just 30 seconds to create and send an invoice, and you can add your company logo for that extra professionalism for the way you want your invoices to look. FreshBooks will give your clients tons of ways to pay you. They allow you to receive payments by credit card and integrate with services like PayPal, and this can seriously improve how quickly you get paid. In fact, FreshBook customers get paid up to five times faster on average. And this part is really great that you can see whether or not your client has looked at the invoice. So no more excuses, no lost invoice, and you can set up an automatic late payment reminder as well. So they just keep getting the email saying, hey, 
my invoice, how about it? And that's just the invoicing. FreshBooks has a lot of other features to help you keep organized. You can easily keep track of your expenses. And if you're in the US, you can automatically import your bank transactions for easy reconciliation. They have great reports. You can easily see who owes you what. Tons of third-party integrations. They do time tracking. They have amazing customer support. Getting started on FreshBooks is extremely simple. You don't really have to be a numbers person at all. FreshBooks is offering a 30-day free trial to listeners of this show. No credit card required. To claim your 30 days of unrestricted use, go to freshbooks.com presentable. That's freshbooks.com presentable. And when you sign up, please enter presentable in the how you heard about us section so FreshBooks knows you came from this show. Thank you so much to FreshBooks for sponsoring presentable and Relay FM. Clearly, Apple is investing a lot in this. The and that's just now that's just the reproduction of the color. It's it's not the the quality of the display and the color management behind it. That's a whole nother thing in in itself, right? I mean, they're all sort of tied together, but there's this um, this movement beyond just RG or I guess sRGB, what we have used kind of forever, or at least for a long time, uh, as a way of of sort of encoding an image and telling some device that's going to receive that image how the how the color space works and how it should right. be rendered right srgb has been around to like the mid 90s right it kind of at, at the inception of the web you know people realized oh we've got this color that we're putting on these web pages how do we standardize it and srgb is the result of oh it's hp and microsoft and I think Apple might have been involved with it. It's it just a, a yeah, I think Adobe. Yeah, Adobe was yeah, in there too. They, or they did their own. Basically, too, the, a bunch of companies came together and said, "You know, let's make this thing called sRGB." It would basically standardize a, a standard viewing environment with uh, standard primary colors, just a, a standard for display. Right. The thing that's happening now is that companies like Apple want to have displays that are better than their competition right and these you know the the, the true tone display on the ipad pro the the, the display p3 uh, display on the new imac you know the, the, both of those screens are retina right you can't make the screen better by making it more more dense, right? The increasing the resolution is not going to make it look any better. You already can't see the pixels. So to make the display better, you've got to have give it more color, and that's why uh, Apple's making this move from sRGB to DCI-P3 that with some adjustments. DCI-P3 is a color space that was originally developed uh, by a consortium of uh, movie studios for digital project projection systems. Mm. They wanted to make lo movies look better, right? They wanted to have. Oh, and I and I guess in a in a post film world, yeah, exactly, everybody has to right? agree yeah, on. Yeah, it's like gonna... you know everybody's encoding yeah. their their video. What color space is that video going to be in? Well, DCI P three is the result, and you know it it's got these you know, it's this wider range of color. Um, but it's also got a gamma and a white point that's works best for a dark theater, 
right? Well, your iPad typically isn't going to be in this dark theater, so Apple has taken that, the, the wider primaries, and adjusted them, uh, adjusted the DCI-P3 color space so that it uses something closer to sRGB, um, the same gamma and the same uh, white point. So you're basic, basically what Apple's doing with this display P3 is getting the wider color gamut that the movie studios defined and display manufacturers started making and so on and so on and adjusting it so that it works well within the sRGB environment that we've had up to date, up to, up to now, right? To basically, it's a sRGB mm -hmm. update. So, right, that's where things are headed, and and it, the you know the, there's changes as far as you know iOS native apps are concerned, and um, web apps obviously are going to need to adapt to this as well. Um, so, there, you know. Everybody to date has just, you know, been able to assume that, you know, 255.00 or FF0000 is is red, right? Now right. there are different kinds right. of red, right? There's a red in this new dis uh, display P3 or there's a red in sRGB. So you've got to let the web browser know you've got to let your native app know there's there's all sorts of fallout from that because you can't just assume that it's srgb anymore so yeah let's dig into a little bit what the implications are for like well let's just start with css because i'm sure th th it'll probably be packaged in good apis and everything for ios and mac os but but on the on the website like how far would the changes go like i know th there's going to be in i think safari soon will have a um media query so that you can you can basically serve different images yeah, with different color spaces exactly right? uh how it's going to work basically it's the same as developers are currently using for uh high resolution assets right you if you want to use you know 2x artwork you know, so that it looks great on a retina display, you're going to have to do media queries to adjust your CSS or, you know, select an item out of a picture container. It's, it's all based on the media query. And instead of the media, media mm -hmm. query being, um, you know, resolution-based, it's based on a, a, a thing called color gamut, right? The W3C has defined different kinds of color gamuts. You know, one of them is sRGB. The other one's called P3. Um, uh, there's another one called Rec 2020, which is, uh, the color space for the new ultra high density 4k televisions. I know. And is that even yeah, broader yeah, it's, or it's, wider, it's, I guess, it's, than the... it's better than the movie studios, right? Everybody's trying to one up themselves. Right? Is the, is the... Is the 2020 in the name like nobody's even looking at this for another four years? Is I I I think that's just a, a random standards number, but yeah, it it it's it's, oh, it's okay. I, I I believe that there are displays that have this. I mean, I don't follow the ultra HD, uh, you know, developments too closely, but I believe that there are already uh, displays out there that can do this, and they're really expensive, 
but you know you could you could have said the same thing about you know retina displays you know five years ago right they were they were expensive oh sure no even even just a few years back when i was at adobe and and i was hanging out with like the after effects people and and premiere people um and and even back then talking about like dealing with uncompressed 4k video was something that like people were scratching their heads and talking about petabytes and like um uh this stuff is is moving just incredibly quickly all of this well i guess not all of a sudden but it certainly feels like it's it's accelerating right now again the push is you know for wider color because our eyes that are at a maximum resolution right that nobody can see any more pixels so you've got to make you know, you, you've reached the maximum density for TVs. You mac- reach the maximum density for, you know, your mobile devices and your desktop. So, you know, that's color is color depth is the next frontier as far as, you know, improving what, you know, our customers look at. Um, yeah, and it turns out nobody really wanted 3D, so. <laughs> I, I never, I mean, the first time <laughs> I, I, you know, saw the, saw Avatar, it was like, oh, man, this makes my eyes hurt. It's it's just let's not go there either. That's another five hour discussion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, it's it, it the web standards body is, is is it's it's a pretty clever thing that they've done. I think, um, and you know, again, it was c- kind of led by the the folks at Apple who you know who knew they had this wider display and you know. And I'm guessing that they, you know, they kind of went through this whole scenario in the in the past with uh, with media queries for resolution, right? You know, when the Retina display came along, they needed some way to, you know, let the CSS and the browser know that um, there were more dense displays, and they're doing the same thing now with. With, right. with color and the color gamut media query and so the uh, now I, I forget i haven't looked too much into this and so forgive me if this is a naive question but does that then change sort of the way you signify colors in css like are we still uh using hex up to ff or does it go farther now you know what i mean like uh, event eventually it will right colors are still going to be specified in srgb um but you know they're the W3C is and the the HTML standards bodies still discussing how you're going to specify which color space your colors are going to be specified in. Mm-hmm. It's probably going to be something like the the current you know RGB syntax, you know, where you say RGB parentheses and then you give them values. Well, one of the values in there is going to be okay. What color space are these values oh, for? Right. Yep. So you'd say you know. Color parenthesis P three comma one comma zero comma zero comma one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. To get the the red in the P three color space, and you know you use sRGB if you wanted it in sRGB. <clears throat> I believe there's also a some CSS where you can say, okay, every every color in this this CSS file is in this profile. You know the you know, I want to specify all my colors in P3, yeah. so you don't have to do that over and over and over again. Right. Um, I suspect that you know, just for backwards compatibility, uh, developers are going to continue to want to use sRGB for user interface elements 
just kind of makes sense because you know you you don't need you know for buttons and right. navigational elements you don't need the the wide range of you know awesome looking color because you know it's it's most likely just going to be a, a thinly stroked element or something like that you're not really going to have enough light coming at it to, to really make a difference um but with photos right. and you know my the, in fact the thing i mentioned in the book is it's like my rule of thumb is if you're selling something worry about the color space of the image right right you know if you're doing product photography or you got a hero image on your website or something like that you know if you're trying to sell somebody something with that image make that image look awesome right you're not trying to sell something with navigation right navigation is just like the mechanics of of your app so and this leads into another consideration that developers are going to have. It's the, the the workflows for creating these images is going to change. Right. That's right? just where Everything. my head was going. Like you got to go all the way back to the camera and then all the way through using this new color yeah. space. Yeah. It's, you know, a, a lot of times, you know, you get product photography from, a from someone, you know, and they may be shooting in Adobe RGB or pro photo, you know, if they're, if they're a good photographer, they probably are mm -hmm. because that's the widest color gamut that's available on their their camera. You know, they want to get the best image possible. Um, and the first thing developers tend to do with those images is convert them to sRGB. Right. You don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and and when you start saying, okay, my working color space isn't sRGB anymore, it's like, oh, I've got to learn how color space uh, and color management works. I have to go into in, those in Photoshop. Those terrifying palettes and and dialog boxes. Exactly. And, oh God. And and that's 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 for everybody, and myself included. It's like, oh no. Yeah. <laughs> I've like, got these settings. I, I've been using them for years. I know they work. Uh, I don't want to change from my working space from sRGB to something else. That's scary. Yeah. Um, and. In fact, this hit me back, you know, I've, in fact, the, the genesis of the book was, and I make this app called Xscope, which is used by web developers and Oh my God, I used, I used it years and years ago, loved it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a pretty essential tool. And basically I wrote it because I needed it, right? It's like, it lets me sample colors, it lets me check layouts, alignment, all sorts of stuff that you do day to day. Um, and Xscope used to just be able to read the, the contents of the screen and, you know, report its color. And in the Mavericks release with Safari, it was like, huh, my 255.00 that's on the, in my CSS is showing up as 243.86 in the browser window. Huh. What the heck, what the heck is going on there? And it was like, oh, what's, you know, this is, something. well, it turns out that they weren't displaying colors with the dis the displays profile anymore. They were displaying in sRGB. So any CSS definitions were being converted to sRGB on the display. Um, and that's when I started to learn about color management because I needed to figure out how to take those sRGB colors and convert them back into something that was close to what was in my CSS. Um, and 
when that happened, I was like, why are they doing this? Right? They're, they're taking something and fixing, you know, they're fixing something that's not broken. Right. Right. Why? What, what's going on here? And then the following, you know, like nine months later, a year later, uh, here comes the iMac with the that wider gamut display, and it was like, ah, mm-hmm. right. So the display. I mean, previously displays, color spaces. You know, people would manufacture displays that were pretty close to sRGB. So you could display sRGB colors by just sending it to the display's color profile. Well, Apple couldn't do that with the these wider displays on the iMac. So they had them. Basically, sRGB in the browser is a compatibility mode, right? So the everything outside the browser has wider color, but the browser itself is limited down to sRGB. Yep. Um, and that's when the the penny dropped, and I was like, okay, that's why they did this. And at the same time, it's like, you know, this is going to happen on iOS. This is going to happen in you know, there's chances of color management coming. You know, previously, iOS had no color management. It's just, you know, Mac OS X has had color management from the beginning. Um, it's just the color sync was just built in from like System Seven or 10. something, 0. right? Wasn't it? Yeah, the, it originally was uh, System Seven Five. They introduced uh, color sync, and yeah. I, it was an add-on that <clears throat> basically anybody who's doing photography or that kind of thing would would enable it and you know have the benefits of color management um but ios had no color management i mean its mobile devices were you know had limited processing power the gpu wasn't very powerful so they just said okay everything's going to be srgb we're just going to kind of ignore the problem and over the years you know in fact my ipad pro is actually faster and more capable than my uh my older macbook air right yeah it's yeah. just it's it, it's just it, it kicks butt <laughs> and you know so now it's possible to do color management on these mobile devices and at the same time these you know displays are getting better so it just it kind of made sense that ios is going to get color management and that the, the changes that we saw in Mavericks, I was pretty sure that these changes are, were going to be coming to to iOS as well. And lo and behold, in iOS 9.3, um, color management was added to. I mean, you couldn't do the true tone display without color management. Right. Right. It just it, it you know to dynamically adjust that white point to, to basically have a display that updates to your ambient lighting conditions. There's no way to do that except with color management. Right. And, and when you know when they announced True Tone um, at the the press event, I was just like, "Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my prediction's true." Right, there it is. The right. the book the book that I've been working on for the last twelve months is is going to be useful to a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, okay, great. I, you know, you don't always predict the future, right? But this one was pretty. If you knew how to look at the problem, it was pretty clear that what what was going to happen, and. Uh, yeah, it all came so came to pass. So, what's the situation over on on Windows and Android? On Windows 10, their color management is 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 built in. It's part of the system. Um, in fact, it, it, the first mobile browser to have color management was uh, Microsoft's Edge browser on uh, Windows Mobile. Oh, okay. Uh, it yeah. wasn't Safari, and 
Safari was actually the, the, the second one to, to do it. Previous versions of Windows, it was you could get color management, but it was like the Mac OS 7.5. You had to, it was an add-on thing, right? You had to go and enable it and everything. And, and as a result, no developers for Windows apps did color management because they couldn't predict whether the user would have that add-on installed or not. Um, same situation now with with Android is uh, there's you know there's an open source color management uh, facility called Argyle that you can use if you know how to install it. Typical Android fashion, it's you know not a simple install. It's you know you've got to you're basically building your own color management system to install on your device. Yeah. Um, it's and you know, of course, then getting manufacturers to the to include this thing right. in their specialized version of Android, it, it's going to be it's going to be a mess there. Um, but I suspect they're going to have to do it. Uh, you know, especially you know with the competition you see between Samsung and, and Apple. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, they they're always you know trying to one one up each other, and you know Apple's got this new two tone display. Well. How's Samsung going to do a true tone display without color management? Right, exactly. And I'm sure I'm sure Google will follow along with the Nexus sort of flagship phones and stuff like that. So, yep. so there is some hope yep. there, at least on the. Um, I, I think it'll, it'll come. You know, it's you know that I look back at the situation um, with Safari and Chrome on the desktop. That Safari was the first one to actually respect embedded color profiles and images and display them correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took seven years for Chrome to be able to do the same thing because, you know, Google has a different problem than Apple does. Apple has a very well-known set of devices that it's targeting Safari at. Right. Right. It knows that Safari is going to be running on this set of iOS devices or this set of Macs. Um, Google has a very different problem. That they, basically, Chrome can run anywhere. And all sorts of different kinds of display environments. So it's a it's harder problem for them to solve. Um, but I suspect that they're going to have to to do something like this in order to, you know, keep the, you know, the browser competitive as devices get better, you know, as far yeah, as color is yeah. concerned. Man, you know, this reminds me a lot of some of the stuff we faced, I guess it's like seven or eight years ago now, when we were starting with um, Typekit and doing, you know, font rasterization across all the platforms. Uh, and just how different it was everywhere, uh, how different resolutions affected hinting and, and things like that. Um, and it was just essentially this giant matrix that we had to keep track of uh, on our end to figure out what fonts to send to what device or what yep. user agent, really, yep. and, and and switch when like you, that. When you, so, when you start looking at the diversity of the web, it's like it's yeah. really complicated really quick. And, you know, as, as developers, we tend to not see that. Right? I mean, I've got... A desktop with Chrome and Safari on it, and Firefox. I've got a laptop that's got uh, Safari running. I've got uh, an iPhone with Safari, an iPad with Safari. You know, I see very few browsers. But then, you know, you start looking. Okay, well, I don't have an Android device. You know, there's all sorts of different Android browsers. There's, you know, there's this thing called Opera, which I know is out there. I don't use it, but you know, the, the just the, just the makes of browsers, and then you start thinking about those different makes of browsers on all the different kinds of devices and that's yeah uh, <laughs> and 
you know that's that's one of the problems with color management right you need to you need to, to build a system that is that adapts to that diversity right right not everybody's going to have an awesome display you know in fact when you're creating your assets it, you know one of the reasons that people just you know take this beautiful product photograph in in pro photo and convert it down into srgb which is not as awesome doesn't look as good you can tell the difference is for compatibility right you know that that you know it's not going to look as good on every device but you know look okay on all devices right all right so so we're approaching this world where We'll have multiple versions for multiple color profiles. Uh, then again, across multiple uh, resolutions for yep. different retina displays. Yeah, so instead of instead of instead of one image, you got four now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I guess the 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 wider gamut and the higher resolution. Yeah, that's true. Can, can that's almost true. be guaranteed together, that's, right? That's so, true. But, that's true. But um, but this stuff is important. Go look at the reviews for any piece of clothing on an e-commerce website, and inevitably it'll be like two stars. This was way greener than I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. like this isn't this isn't silver at all. It's you know, and, and and that is literally the problem we're talking about here is that the stuff that you're looking at on the screen doesn't look like it does in the real world when you get it out of the box. It, it's especially important too with branding, right? Uh, we we worked uh, have clients like Starbucks and Coca Cola and. Believe me, they're they oh, yeah. are very particular about their green or their oh, red, yeah. or they they've spent a lot of time and effort and money using that color and that money and and trying to to promote their product and their brand um, using these colors, and they want it to be right. And you know, it, this color management is actually a, a big boon for the for that kind of thing because you know if if a device is color managed, you you know that the color that you see on your screen is going to be as close as possible to the one that your customer sees. It's yeah. it yeah. just that's the whole point of color management. That's why photographers have used it for you know years and years and years and love it. And the people that are most excited about this, the early the these early announcements of of these new p3 displays were photographers right they've wanted for years they, you know they know that they're shooting in this this wider gamut they they look at it in lightroom and it's like it looks awesome and then you know they, you see it on the web and it's like it just oh man what a letdown because <laughs> it's like all the all yeah. the vibrant colors are now kind of knocked back a bit and yeah. they know that that you know if you can get those vibrant colors that they work so hard to shoot onto you know the customer's screen it's it's good for everybody you know makes 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 your work better i imagine we'll see this come to youtube and and video pretty quickly as well i mean they've been pretty quick to embrace 4k 50 or rather 60 frames per second you know things like that so um that's got to make a big difference in video as well the fact that a lot of these wider color gamuts are being driven by moving pictures, either by a moving studio mm-hmm. or, you know, the video. Um, it seems to me to be a pretty clear indicator that, yeah, we're going to, we're going to see wider color gamuts across the board. Um, but, you know, it's like everything. It's a, the first, the first images we saw on the web were not moving ones, right? It was, it, it was pretty amazing back in 1995 to like be able to download a picture right like wow <laughs> you know it, it was a you know 56 kilobytes a second if you were lucky right. but 
it was like this is pretty cool early on i i was uh i was working in sydney it was like early 90s and i downloaded this video and like an mpeg 3 video that was like 300 megabytes it took me like a week to download it <laughs> you were you you were using most of the cable under the pacific I've, just for probably video yeah probably in fact it was a i remember it was a, a usgs a video flyover of the grand canyon uh-huh. and it's like that thing was so cool but you know it it was like you know five minutes long 300 megabytes I, and took forever to download and just like now you know it's like youtube it's like click okay the the ad that is in front of the video is bigger than that 300 megabytes and it takes three seconds or something to load oh, right a, a, a single story on vox is bigger than yeah that's true <laughs> than the whole video so yeah uh, things have changed quite a bit yeah. no that was that was back in the time of the 216 web safe color cube yeah yeah that that's was... all that's all we had to work with then. yeah yeah and, and then dithering everything down into those colors and hoping that they that it looked like something you know yeah Yep. It's uh Um so tell me tell me about this book you've been working on. You're doing it for a book apart, which is uh just thrilling cuz I think they do some of the best work in the industry and you're writing all about this stuff. When I discovered this this problem in Mavericks, I thought, "Oh, this is going to be a good blog post." You know, I'm going to write a couple thousand words on this and then Right. Well, okay, in order to to really explain why you need color management, you got to talk about Photoshop and then it's like, you know, then go you know, figure out how Photoshop works and explaining how Photoshop works and, you know, what's the difference between assigning a profile and converting to a profile. And it's like, okay, well, we're kind of pushing 5,000 words. So maybe I'll do a couple of blog posts out of this. And <laughs> then it's like, okay, well, I've got to really kind of explain what an ICC profile is and how it works and how, you know, what are kind of the mechanics here. And then, uh, maybe we're over like 8,000 words. And then you, know, it's like, oh, iOS is going to have color management too and web browsers. So i got to start explaining how CSS and, you know, UI kit and all these different things. Work. And it's like it, it would, uh, when I got to like 10,000 words, I sent uh, an email to, to Jeffrey Zeldman and, and Ethan Markup uh, saying, you know, is there a book here? Right, and they yeah. both they both replied like immediately. This is awesome! <laughs> oh God, I just read this thing, and I like I know more about color management now than I ever have, and it's like I've always wondered what these settings are in, in Photoshop. It's like oh my God, thank you, and one thing led to another, and uh, it's been a <clears throat> fairly long process because we're at a time now where things are changing. You know, there's it, it, been a lot of change in the industry over the last nine months. So I've been done with the book several times. <laughs> and I'm Technology about... Technology books are really hard that way. Yeah, my wife keeps telling me, it's like, she's like, you need to finish it. And it's like, yeah, I know, I need to finish it. I need to finish it. And uh, I, with the stuff that, that Apple announced at WWDC, it, it's like all the pieces kind of fell into place. In fact... Um, I think it was last week. the uh, The WebKit guys uh, posted a, uh, some stuff about the color management that's been added to WebKit and where they kind of see the standards heading. And 
and all that. That's great. It's 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 at a time where all the pieces are falling into place, and there are a lot of developers who are going to need to understand how this stuff works and not be afraid to change their color settings in Photoshop. It really it's that simple. It's like we all mm -hmm. fe we all fear going to the you know hitting Shift Command K and like oh my God what is this stuff, <laughs> right? <laughs> and you know we're gonna it's a it's it it. In fact, one of the things that, that Apple recommends is that you start working in 16-bit color instead of 8-bit color, which, you know, gives you smoother gradients. You know, it it's it's easier to represent whiter color when you have more bits um, to represent it in instead of just, you know, 0 to 255, you got 0 to 65535. You know, it's yeah. a, a lot more range, and, you know, you get smoother gradients and all of the right, great right. stuff that comes out of that. But again, that's you know, did there are some workflow considerations there, right? That you, you know, sometimes the stuff can get converted for you automatically. Sometimes it's not. You know, you kind of have to understand where the little gotchas are. And, uh, you know, and you, it, there's nothing to say that people can't continue to work in in sRGB, but right. it's you know, you could have said the same thing a few years ago. It was like, yeah, you don't really need to worry about Retina. And then now it's like everybody. It's like if it, you know, we get people complaining to us. It's like, oh, this image on your website is not retina. Yeah, we know. You know, <laughs> <laughs> we just haven't spent the time to go update that image. And yeah, yeah, we know. And so, but people notice yeah. it. They totally notice it. And so, ostensibly, a few years from now, sRGB is going to look, you know, make websites look really dull. Yeah, because yeah, essentially, so, you know, yeah. so many people have converted over to wider yeah, and, color space, and, and and you'll and you'll start to notice it when you start to have uh, these devices with the wider color gamut. I mean, it's like the you can tell just by looking at some images on the iPad. It's like again, it's not all images, but some images on the i on the new iPad uh, look just remarkable, and it's yeah. it's kind of a visceral response people have. In fact, uh, uh, Horace to do and posted something on Twitter. He says, there's something about this new iPad display, but I don't know what it is. And I pointed him at my thing that I wrote on, uh, on Icon Factory blog. And he's like, ah, yeah, I knew, yeah. I knew there was something there, but I didn't know what it was. And, you know, our customers and visitors um, to our websites and, and users of our apps aren't going to, really understand what's going on here but they'll they'll know when it looks better right that they, they yeah. you know it's things are when things are crisper and and have more vibrant colors our eye picks it up and we have a much more positive response to that image and there's no reason to think that this won't be on the iphone 7 and then the numbers will really get you know yeah the number of people that are able to see this will really ex sort of start to explode one thing if this thing isn't on the iphone 7 i'll be very very surprised uh it's it's obvious that it's gonna be on there <laughs> i'm not gonna i mean you, you, you never say you know for sure it's gonna happen but you know, ninety-nine point nine 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 percent likely. <laughs> so, do you have a do you have a date for the book, or are you waiting for a couple more pieces to fall in the technology? No, no, I'm I've I've basically got to get my last edits to the uh, to my editor. Um, uh, we don't have a date, but it's it's imminent. It's it's, yeah. it's like it's people need it now. They'll need it a lot more. 
in uh, the fall when there's new hardware. Yeah. Yep. And it'll and like you just said, right? When as soon as the iPhone gets this, it's like all of a sudden, oh yeah, there are a lot of people that are seeing these new wider colors. I mean, look at how many people watch um, movies, browse images on their mobile device. Right? It's, it's you know. Oh, think, for sure. I mean, I've got yeah. I've got you know an exercise bike with an old iPhone on it that <laughs> runs nothing but Amazon <laughs> Video and and Netflix, <laughs> right? <laughs> Every day, I you know I watch forty five minutes of of a video or you know browsing Twitter. Right, it's like there's Twitter, you know, video the the gifs, the you know there's links to YouTube. It's, you know, these these images are, are everywhere in our lives, and if you make them look better, it's more attractive to the viewer, and that's yeah, what we all want. Sure. And we just have to figure out how it all works now. Yeah, that's yeah, that's what the book is about. You know, figure out how it I'm works. I'm really looking forward to that book. And where can uh, let's see you. you People can get more of your writing, of course, on the blog at Icon Factory. You have a blog.iconfactory.com. You have a website yeah. at furbo, yeah. F-U-R-B-O.org. That's correct. Lots of good stuff there. And then I guess on Twitter, you're um, Chalkenberry. I am. Yeah. One All of right. One of People can follow you there. One of the early Twitter users. That's right. That's right. I really appreciate the conversation. This has been great and really illuminating. Like I've learned a lot. I think we've got uh, a long way to go, but... The work you're doing is really important, and uh, thanks thank for being you. on the show. Yeah, thank you. It, uh, it's nice to hear that people think it's important. <laughs> there's, there's always that self-doubt, right? Am I doing something here that's only interesting to me? And it's like, no, I think we're on to something good here that's going to help a lot of people. We're definitely on to get something good. Awesome. Yeah, it's been a pleasure talking to you, and I hope your listeners get a lot out of this. This has been Presentable. And I'm Jeffine. Hey, thanks so much for listening. If you have feedback or comments or questions or anything, really, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on the web at relay.fm slash presentable or on Twitter at presentable FM. Thanks so much.